Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. Recovery sort of. Jason, a guy trying his best to do some recovery type stuff with. I'm Billy. I am a person in long-term recovery. And today, to talk about grief in recovery, we have Caroline. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. So I just want to mention again, uh, thank you to Sarah for making a donation to recovery sort of. There's a PayPal donation button like hiding tinily on the bottom of our website recovery sort of dot com um and sarah and julie have both made donations and we just appreciated this so this episode is brought to you by them in part uh and and again to reiterate we are never going to buy ourselves a private plane with your donations uh you know we we do want to fund the podcast so that it pays for itself which is always a good idea but then from there the rest of any money we would ever make goes to your gonna, guest speakers yeah, yeah. to the guest speakers <laughs> so we can have good guest speakers now um, <laughs> no yeah we're gonna donate it back to the community and in some way shape or form we're setting up a fund actually to provide groceries clothes for job interviews uh diapers whatever the immediate needs are of somebody that's just fine in recovery who you know maybe they've gotten the spot at the recovery house but they just need some items to get by because that's what we need as humans um so that's our goal we're, we're in the process of getting that set up so if you donate you don't have to worry about us uh you know getting strippers and cocaine with it because <laughs> we won't be doing that at least not the cocaine Darn, um, i didn't know that part <laughs> so anyway <laughs> To, to get back to the topic today, grief, right? It's something that we don't really talk about a lot in recovery, I don't think. I, I don't think I've ever been at an NA meeting and they've been, the topic's been grief or anything. It's usually like a spiritual principle or, you know, I don't know, something else that doesn't seem all that useful yeah. sometimes. Usually the most you hear about tragedy is people talking about, uh, you know, it's not all roses and butterflies or you know stuff like that but yeah. they don't get into like let's hear it <laughs> like yeah and that's exactly something that came to my mind too in this process that i was gonna explore with us today i'll wait till a little later to bring it up but yeah that idea that like we don't we're very quick to move past it right and i've heard some horrific things in meetings right the way people were treated as children dramatically going through losing their own children to the disease of addiction like all kinds of awful stuff and there is not much like conversation about grief processing so it, it seems like a relevant topic i'm already talking too much so i will let caroline tell her version of why she's here to join us in this particular topic yeah, absolutely. So first I'll say, um, I think my experience has been a little different than you guys. I would say that I've not been in any meetings where grief was the topic, but I definitely feel like I've been in a ton of meetings where people have shared about recent losses, whether that's dogs, honestly, I think is the one I've heard the most, hmm. like people in meetings crying that they just had to put their dog down. Um, but certainly like there was my home group, um, 
we had some like parents pass in other other home group members had parents passed three of them in the last two years and they definitely would share you know about that struggle um and maybe that's contributed to my openness with it a little bit or maybe that's just me i don't know but i'm surprised there was no old timer yelling like you lost your fucking dog who cares <laughs> shut out and shut up well, and of course i thought about what you had mentioned something a few weeks ago about uh like men don't openly share about emotions mm. as readily as as females do and definitely not in groups like guys will get together like one-on-one -on -one and share some like intimate vulnerable stuff but in a big group it's kind of like you're only sharing it to tell how tough you are and how yeah. you got through it and you're so much stronger and better now <laughs> the one allowable male emotion anger yeah that's right. it oh you're sad so i wonder if oh, that's you're angry a, a male female you're depressed thing. no you're angry <laughs> you're going through grief nope you're angry all <laughs> right happy nope that's anger that's definitely anger <laughs> i think it's definitely a male female thing but i also think that that is something that recovery works towards resolving is for it? men i oh. think so oh my god yeah i mean i feel like i know men that are much more comfortable today sharing how they're feeling what they're struggling with than they they would have been when they first came into the rooms i think that 90 percent of the men i know then uh, if that's true then they're not recovering <laughs> 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 just saying uh, yeah i don't know i definitely i can think of i can think of a few um Honestly, if I'm being honest, I can only actually specifically think of one, but <laughs> I know I've heard other guys in meetings talk about how they're feeling. I've seen some men in meetings cry. Um, that's not super common. And if you do it a lot, you will get a nickname. Oh, Wesley? No, but yes, that's another <laughs> one. I hope he doesn't listen. <laughs> I love Wesley. He knows that people refer to him as crying Wesley. That's not a big shock. <laughs> I fucking love Wesley. Though. No, there was another one up up in the Hartford County area too. Oh, okay. So, so I, I'm not saying that some people don't get in touch with their emotions and have a much better time with it, but I feel like as a whole, at least from the recovery community in the Baltimore and surrounding areas, it's definitely like you got to be a recovery warrior, right? You got to be a recovery soldier, a NA soldier, and and you're still. Now you're dying with your boots on trying to help addicts get clean or something. But it's still like this whole tough guy. I got to be a biker, macho. But don't we have to drop the masks? You <laughs> know, I mean, that is a part of recovery is getting in touch with who you really are. The the, the lie is dead, right? Those gender. I don't think um, everybody wants that. Well, that's true. I mean, not everybody wants recovery. Or not everybody wants all parts of recovery, right? A lot of people come yeah. in and they just want to stop using. Well, and we've explored that idea that, like, if you go to a lower socioeconomic status region, right, where people don't have the resources and all that, they're going to have NA meetings. If you go to a place where they got money and, and like, nice paved roads with no potholes and shit... They're going to have ACOA, Al-Anon. They're going to have uh, sex addicts meetings. Like They're going to be able to deal with these, I hate to say, higher level problems, right? But that's, it's like 
in some areas, it's enough just to fucking get clean. Yeah. Oh, I'm clean. I still cheat on my wife. I still do these other cruddy things. Live in a recovery house with seven years clean. Right, right. I'm the manager. (laughs) I still ride around the motorcycle gang and we steal from Walmarts and beat people up and shit, whatever. Like, I'm clean. Right. It's better. And I feel like that might be a thing. Like, the higher you go, maybe more money, you want more from it. I I don't know. It's weird. Maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah absolutely yeah no i would agree with that i think we've got we've we've done our first way off topic oh yeah (laughs) where are we talking about today grief (laughs) Grief. yes good grief so i was supposed to be introducing myself yeah i'm the one who took us like sideways but um yeah so i'm caroline i am also a person in long-term recovery i did want to ask you i'm going to take us off topic again that's fine do you come up with your unique way of explaining your status in recovery prior to each podcast i i did at one point when i was really trying to get creative with it and then i just went back to saying long-term recovery for quite a while and now i really personally don't like the long-term tag it bothers me it's like an elitist kind of thing to some extent so now it's just kind of like what's the but do you wing it every time or do you have now i wing it now it's what's the goofiest fucking way i can say (laughs) recovery like i'm a guy who hasn't had a donut in three weeks i don't know like (laughs) (laughs) damn now i want a donut so yeah so i um first i have to say i'm super super excited to be here I um, have been a listener for a while. Uh, Selena turned me on to the podcast, actually. Thank you, Selena. Um, But I used to get really excited when I would get mentioned on the podcast. (laughs) Uh, I would interact with you guys' social platforms and and comment something, and and Jason would kind of repeat it back. And I would actually, at the time, I remember being in the car with my husband and being like, I'm podcast famous. (laughs) So now I'm truly podcast famous. You're legit. Yeah. So um, super excited about that. Thank you for having me on. But, um, you know, I up until a year ago was was very fortunately not very qualified to talk about grief at all. Um, I had lost some older family members over the years. I had lost some good friends, but none that I was like they were day to day in my life anymore. Um, But then last summer, uh, I lost my husband to this disease And then in the fall, my dog was diagnosed with cancer, um, and I just put him down two and a half weeks ago now. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, my family basically got cut in half over the last 12 months or so. Um, And, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm a little bit of a grief expert at this point in my life. So that that is why I'm here. And this maybe this is the time to bring the the thing that Billy set up uh, and make it relevant. I I feel like we always look at grief as losing a person, right, or 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 a loved animal or something along those lines. But to me, uh, you know, and and my boss at work, like the way she operates with any of her clients is through the lens of grief. That's like her expertise, and like every fucking thing in life is grief everything is a loss of something right and we just that's how she sees it and i i believe that like that's a lens and i feel like we do this when we come into recovery we actually to some extent grieve the life we used to live in addiction right the ways we used to act all these different things but i'm noticing that the 12-step program doesn't really give a lot of space for that 
right? And, and so here's what I mean by that. The, there's stages of grief. Um, they're pretty well established. They're not linear. You go in and out of them. You process them however you do, but they are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance, right? And I feel like in the 12-step world, we kind of push everybody to bypass the first fucking four and go straight to acceptance. And like, if you're not there, you're doing it wrong. Like, Oh yeah, Caroline, it's terribly sad that you lost your husband, but you just need to fucking accept it and move on because that's how we heal around here. And you'll heal if you just push through. Right. You, (laughs) you, we missed part. And I don't, so I was thinking about that from the lens of, we don't let people grieve the addiction part of themselves, but I, I don't know that we really let people grieve. Well, anything else either thank god no one said that to me (laughs) um (laughs) i will say i think that so i i think you're absolutely right that there is you know losing a job is is a, a a process of grief um a friendship ending there's a lot of different kind of grief scenarios that Mm -hmm. we experience day in and day out but i would differentiate between those kind of everyday life changes that that we do have to uh get used to and even obviously um leaving active addiction is not an everyday life change but that level of grief versus losing someone who is a massive part of someone or something who is a massive part of your life and you have like deep love for i think that there's definitely um there's definitely a difference there. And then I would also say that I think our society as a whole puts that pressure to just get over it and move on um, way more than just the NA community because grief is uncomfortable for people mm-hmm. and they don't know what to say and they don't know how to treat you. And so it's easiest to just kind of act like nothing's wrong after a few weeks. And that was definitely my experience. You know, um, NA showed up for me immensely. Um, I got, got really lucky that my husband passed. Really lucky that my husband passed. That's that's a crazy thing to say. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate that um, my husband passed and I found out on a Friday mm-hmm. because then I had a lot of people available to me over those those first couple of days, at least being the weekend and people not having to work. Um, but yeah, and it really definitely showed up for me in those first days. Um, and I definitely got kind of a lot of um, check-ins and sympathy in the first week or two. Um, but I definitely remember showing up to my home group, which we were meeting kind of in the park because of COVID at that point. You know, week three, week four, week five, and sometime around though that point is when like the "How are you doing?" stopped, mm. and I was still very, I was still reeling, um, but to interact with you know people that I knew quite well and would see on a, a regular basis, it kind of felt like they just assumed I was over it, mm. um, which was hurtful and definitely made me question the validity of my grief or other people's interpretation of the validity of my grief i would say would be probably the better the better phrase um but what i've learned since um is 
So I've, one of the things, you know, there's, I think recovery has given me a lot of tools to enable me in the grief process. And I can talk about that more, but I was, I was listening to an audio book a few weeks ago and, and a woman was kind of talking about that similar experience, right? So she's not in recovery at all, but her husband died and, um, you know, people just acting like, you know, seeing her and being like, oh, we have great weather, like not bringing it up, mm-hmm. not addressing it. And what she found out through talking to uh, some of her her people that were closest to her were that they were worried that they were going to remind her and like make her upset. Um, So I think, you know, there is a little bit of just people don't know what to say or what to do. And so they ignore it. And I think that's kind of one of the big issues with our entire society today. Yeah. And I learned that with my sister. So. You know, we lost my nephew, her son, when he was 19 in a mm-hmm. car accident. And very similar for a lot of years, you know, because him and I share a birthday and we were kind of close, close growing up. You know, he she had him when she was really young. She still lived at home with my parents. So he was born and lived at our house, you mm-hmm. know, almost like a sibling for several years of his life. And so anyway, you know, similar after he was gone, like obviously there's still a loss for me, but it's way different for her losing a kid and not knowing how to address that or feeling uncomfortable or like you say, feeling like if you bring it up, it's going to bring back some pain and talking to her about that. And, and her experience was like, no, I like to know that people think about him. Like, Absolutely. yes, it's hard. And yes, it's, it's painful to think about, but it's worth it. Like it's, Right. It's worth it to talk about it. So like I try to do that and it's so hard like to to call her on his birthday or on his, you know, I don't know what you call the anniversary of a death, but you know, call him on to call her on that day. And most days now she doesn't answer, but I still try to call and leave a message or send her a text. And it's, you know, of course I'll say it's only been it's been like I think 10 or 11 years now, but it's still painful. Yeah. You know, it's definitely painful for her. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I think the other point is, it's one, it's good to to talk about those that we've lost. It's good to hear that other people are thinking of them too. But for people who have been through that kind of like intense loss, they're never not thinking about it. Right. It's not like I ever like forget my husband died and then someone bringing it up, it's going to like remind me. And that's similar to what she had said. Yeah. And the other thing is, as a person in that situation, like, and I don't know if this is just addicts or maybe it's normal people too, but like I'm always self-centered, like, oh, this is awkward for me to have to do. And sometimes I have to remind myself, like, look, dummy, your awkwardness is minimal in comparison to her feelings. And it's more important that I try to give her some sort of, you know, I don't know what you, and I know it's not peace isn't the right word, but some sort of love, you mm-hmm. know, to show her that love and respect than it is for me to feel a little uncomfortable bringing up, you know, a painful situation. Right. Yeah. I, I would say a reach out means a lot it, it for me anyway, you know, when people have reached out to check on me or see how I'm doing or um, anything, it it's, it's always meant a lot. So. We are asking a large thing of people who can't sit with themselves and their own feelings <laughs> to make space for ours. Really, like I, and I'm not saying it's not the healthy or better or or right. I hate to use the word right, but I use it all the time. Um, thing to do for people when we can. But I mean, most of the people I interact with in my world really struggle to ha- 
be still with their own feelings, much less try to create a space and container for someone else to like, they're not going to purposefully go in and even if they understand the concept of, Hey, it's not about my baby feelings and my uncomfortability. Like it's about helping this person. They're still not going to be able, they're just not going to be able to do that. Right. With three, six, nine months clean. But don't we have an expectation that after a certain period of time and a certain length of time in recovery and some work that they should be? I'm talking about people outside the program as oh, well. Okay. Just, yeah, he's okay. talking about anybody. Okay. I'm just talking about people in general. Yeah, but like, that's that's an issue. That's <laughs> like, what right. our society is. Well, and that goes back to what you said about our society. Like, not only do we have this fear of, you know, these awkward and uncomfortable conversations and places, but then we also have our societal ideal on what's the accepted amount of time people can grieve. And there's like no fucking timetable on that, but all right, well, you know, if you've been with somebody for three years, you get half of that time to grieve or, you know, six to nine months is your window. Like, no, you get as long as you fucking need. And who knows how complicated this grief is from past griefs that weren't dealt with or from mid, you know, other factors that are involved in it. Uh, not seeing the person, not seeing the passing or the transitioning, not being able to visit the area, not maybe you weren't able to attend a funeral because you were incarcerated. Like there's all these other factors that make it even more difficult because believe it or not, the the societal pieces of processing a, a transitioning or a death of a loved one all help in the grief process that's kind of why people go to the scene of an accident and put the bears and shit up at that physical location because that location is like a marker and an important piece of their processing it and so when we lose somebody in in this kind of fashion we don't really get that like that's missing yeah that's interesting because so my husband um for whatever reason you know he had he had moved into a recovery house um seemed to be doing good tested dirty, got kicked out of the recovery house. I would not let him come back home. Mm. Um, He was supposed to be moving into another recovery house, but what he chose to do instead was go and rent a room in the town that I live in, Mm. um, in like a boarding house, and uh, died there that night. Um, And it was, you know, in in interacting with, with the cops and, you know, working to get his stuff back from that place it was critical to me to not know where that house is because i i you know i so i don't live so the town of rising sun i don't need to be vague i don't live in town um this place i believe was in town but i go into town we multiple times a week to run to the martins or whatever um i did not want to for the rest of my life have to drive past the place that i knew he had passed Hmm. Hmm. and maybe that's because of the gruesomeness of an overdose or i mean i guess a car wreck can be gruesome too but to know that he he was found there already deceased like to just envision that in my mind i just didn't want to have to think of that every time i drove by wherever that location was and see i feel like without knowing you're just gonna do the same thing anyway and think about it when you drive by anywhere in town i don't no no because i would be like oh i wonder if it was that house no because i don't want to know i don't want to know i actually i have i mean i know there is a house in town that has a sign out that says rooms for rent but my guess my guess is is it might be that place but i don't want to know i don't want to know for sure it feels like knowing would would forever Signify tie his death that, to right. that 
spot and I would forever think about the way he died. And I think the way people pass is different. You know, it it affects the grief process too because like my mom passed um, and she had been ill for a long time and I ride past the house. You know, she died at home in her house. We were all there. I mean, it was as far as people passing it was a pretty peaceful and, right. and as she was surrounded by family and loved ones and it was still hard and there's still grief around that but i can ride by that place and i don't have a lot of negatives yeah tied to it you know what yeah. i mean like there's positive tied to that so it's different so i think the way people pass yeah. affects that too I would agree and my with sister that. had said similar so the the accident her son was in was right on route 40 in red toad road i mean she drives that road all the time and she used to mention similarly that she didn't like that people put markers and stuff up there you know a big cross and because there's two other kids that died in the car with them uh someone had ran a red light and hit them killed three teenage kids wow so you know friends would put stuff up and there was stuff out there and she had said at one point like she didn't want anyone to do that for i guess we never got into it but probably a similar right reason like she's got to drive that road all the time you know she doesn't need a reminder right there all the right. time and i don't i don't want to be insensitive with this statement or jason already told me he'd be intentionally trying to make me cry for, for the viewers <laughs> uh so look we all do things in a different way right there is no right or wrong way to do grief um you know, the things we generalize about grief, about people who do better that see the physical location of where it happened and are familiar with that. Like, that's a generalization that might work for 80%, 90%, who, like some percent, more than half, does not mean it's right for everybody. So I'm not trying to say that whatsoever. I, I do want to ask, though, to me, it comes across like if that's a piece of it that will bother me for an extended period of time or that I'm still not at peace with that almost sounds like a part of grief that I'm just not willing to go through like it seems like there would be a a grief process that where I could come to peace with the entirety of that too and I'm not trying to like belittle anybody's grief process your sister's or yours uh, Caroline I just I don't know that's kind of how that sits with me Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely an interesting point. I think that's really valid. And and I think my response to that is that I feel like with time, some of those potential triggers will become less triggering. I still don't know that I ever want to know where it happened. And I don't think that it's necessary for me to know that. Um, But one of the things that I have done i don't believe that i've avoided grief um i don't believe it's really possible to i mean i guess maybe it is um for some people i think it depends more on your personality i i think it is maybe possible for some people to kind of stick their hand head in the sand and ignore it for me that's that's not that's not a possibility um but i have kind of made sure to not stick my hand on the stove so to speak right Mm. um if something I if something I know is going to be painful for me, some occurrence or activity or uh, music is a really good example. Um, there's just certain stuff that even today, ten months later, I it, I don't want to listen to. 
Hmm. There's a lot of stuff I don't want to listen to. Um, and I have my moments of grief where things will come up and, and I'll cry and I'll move on from it. But I also feel like, and when that happens, I don't push that away. But I also feel like I don't need to actively seek that kind of stuff out either. I get enough of that in normal day-to-day life hmm. without like doing things that I know are going to to upset me. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I mean, there there's no... There's surely, again, no right way. And I don't even know that like jumping into grief work headfirst makes it happen any faster, right? Like there's definitely timetables we talk about. The stages aren't in order and you hop in and out. And that's also like you might run through all the stages with one piece of the grief, but then maybe there's another piece that you haven't got to yet and you have to do it all over again, right? I don't know, but personally, I feel like the stages of grief are nonsense. I do. I mean, there are things that people go through. So I think of my own, probably my biggest grief experience since I've been clean actually wasn't around death. It was finding out our kids have been molested by their grandfather. Um, I was angry for years of time, you know, and I maybe it's up in at the first stage anger. I don't know what the stage is. No, denial is the first. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know that I went through that one. (laughs) Um, there was no denial, but there was a lot of anger for years and (laughs) you're, you're a man. Denial comes out as anger. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, and then I feel like I've worked on it and processed it. We did a lot of things, you know, to try to help with the grief. We did the press charges and, and did everything. Got my daughter counseling and, you know, did all the good, healthy things. And now, like, for the most part, I'm okay with it. But occasionally I can get either really, really hurt, you know, for my daughter or really angry. You know, even now, like now I'm getting upset upset talking about it but it's like i don't feel like i haven't worked on it you know what i mean i don't feel like i haven't healed from it but it can still come back at times sometimes like you say when you're not even ready you know or sometimes when you're not even thinking about it it's like a punch in the gut you know like a a slap in the face you know and i don't i wouldn't say like oh that means i haven't healed from it like no i'm pretty good with it you know 90 percent of the time (laughs) Is that the 90% of the time you're just not focused on it, though? And when I say that, I'm not arguing that you're not healed from it either. I I think just being healed from grief, I don't think that means you don't feel the emotions of it anymore. Like, I don't believe that at all. Yeah, things still hurt. But I'm just curious if the 95% of the time it's not bothering you is because you're not looking at it. Well, no, what I I mean by that is if, if, like, another recovering person wanted to sit down and talk about that experience... uh, you know, I'd be completely okay, like, sitting down and talking with them and sharing our experience with that with them. Um, I've shared about it in meetings as part of my story of going through struggles and things that I've been through in recovery. I don't feel like it's a thing. Like, if it comes up, it's not something that I typically feel like I shy away from or diminish or ignore. But sometimes it just fucking hurts. You know, sometimes it's just painful. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. 
please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. I have a, a story or two that I tell, not even necessarily a bad story. They're kind of like positive emotions, but they, they really bring out emotional parts of me. And there's times I tell them and I don't have those emotions tied to them so much. And I call that dissociation. <laughs> I don't I don't know that like the emotions aren't tied to them anymore. That's just a moment when I'm, eh, I'm not going to feel that this time when I talk about it. I, I don't know. As an act of choice? As a subconscious choice, I'm okay. just in a place where I'm I'm not interested in feeling that kind of stuff right now. Well, I think for myself, like the sharing about it or bringing it up in like a group, so I, I feel like at least trying to draw something positive or something good out of that whole experience is probably the best it's, it's going to get. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's trying to trying to share that experience to let people know like, Hey, you can get through this stuff and you can stay clean. And there's like a kind of a, a healthier way to deal with some of these tragedies. You know, like I feel like that's empowering to other people. And if anything good can come out of a just totally fucked up shitty situation, you know, hmm. I don't know that it's ever going to be good for my kids. You know, like I don't ever think that it, that's going to be, you know, like a bright side to that shit for them. Oh, but if I can God, use any of that this again, to help you? other people. <laughs> you're going to make me sound this terrible sounding shit. You're going to make me say it again. Uh, I'm, I feel like Dave from the last episode where he didn't want to put down any meditation form because, <laughs> you know, meditation is good and that's great. I don't want to fuck with anybody's feelings about their grieving process or if they've done it well enough, like it's not about that. I would personally think maybe not as a complete finality of grieving, but at some point after really healing through grieving, we would almost be thankful for whatever it was. If not truly just thankful for the event because of what it, meant for our lives in some way right and and if that's uh, i know god <laughs> caroline's yeah. giving me that fucking look i know if that's I'm going with you but it's a stretch <laughs> if that's you yeah. uh talking about your experiences of what happened to you as a child and coming to a place of not just accepting that it happened and being okay with the fact that it happened but really saying you know what I have been able to help a hundred fucking guys process this. Thank God that shit happened to me. That's where I think the real goal, healthiest place we could possibly get to. Like the, the letting go, the forgiveness of the event, the grieving, and the at some point way in the fucking future, because this is not like when it just happens, but the thank God for that event because now that has molded me to be this other person. I think that's much easier to do when it's something that impacts you personally and much harder to do when there are other people hmm. who have been directly impacted by that event. You so, mean like Billy's Or in my case, yeah. For me to say I'm grateful that my husband passed, 
I mean, he's a person that died and no longer exists. And, and there's other people that... Depending on your belief system. Yes, that's true. But no longer, at, at a minimum, no longer exists in this existence, in this, reality, in this plane. Right. In this um, right now. Yeah, I mean, his his life is ended, and I, I can't see ever being grateful for that. Now, I am very much of the opinion, you know, I'm grateful for my using because, um, you know, it's brought me the life I have today. Of course, a life filled with grief at the moment. Um, but generally speaking, you know, I've always been one to say, you know, I'm grateful for those experiences as, as bad as many of them were. Um, because it's made me who I am today and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, I think when another person is pulled into the mix, it's it's a lot harder to to have, for me anyway, have any gratitude around that. And my experience with that, with my kids, just wrecked my whole belief in God or that any of this makes any sense or that there's any purpose to any suffering or any of that. You gotta it's listen just, to that goddamn book, Billy. <laughs> I am. It's terrible. I... <laughs> I'm trying. I've been listening to it. It's terrible. <laughs> yes. What oh. book are we talking about? Thought, yeah, well, I'll keep listening. But conversations uh, with God. conversations with God. But huh. it, it's just a matter of now. Like, and I hear that. And I'm just like, bad shit just happens. Like, mm -hmm. can't bad shit just happen? Does it have to be for a reason? Does it have to be? No, just shitty stuff happens because life is organic and natural and it just random moves, mm -hmm. you know uncontrolled unfettered and so bad shit happens just like good shit happens and the unpopular opinion in conversations with god is that nothing happens to a soul without the soul requesting it to happen we ask for everything that happens to us because it's an experience we need yeah, and there, but I, that impact, like, if, if that were true, then that terminated some other person's life, in my case. He want, But nothing happens to a soul that it doesn't ask for. So He wanted it, and I wanted it, and his mother, his sister. That's the unpopular opinion in the book, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I and uh, if you listen further, that we're all actually one soul. I mean, there's no way to dispel that, <laughs> yeah. right? So that's an argument that has, you yeah, can't argue I, against it. Not it, trying to argue it at all. It's, so, just, it's an interesting uh, thing. For me, in my grief or painful situations, and we've had some others, you know, but... I guess it's been more helpful to look at those situations as like, all right, so what can I do with this to help other people or to make this useful in some sort of way other than just be impacted by a bunch of fucking pain and hurt, you know, like the, the reasons, the whys don't matter as much. And for myself, when I first got into recovery, I remember being a person early on in my life is like, why do I have to be an addict? Why do I have to suffer all this blah, blah, blah? Why, why, why? And then when I got clean this last time, I'm like, it doesn't matter why. Why doesn't help you figure it out? Like what matters is what are you doing now? What are you doing today? And what can you do to make yourself get better? And for me in my grief situations, that's kind of been a similar approach. Like the why doesn't really matter, you know? I mean – can pontificate on all kinds of whys, but what matters is, all right, so what am I doing with this? Am I sitting, you know, with my feelings now, allowing myself to grieve, allowing myself to be in pain and hurt, and, like, with, you know, with the loss of my mom, that was pretty devastating. That was one where I, like, I came to a realization that 
my biggest fan my entire life was no longer here. The person that had supported me through all the worst that I ever was, that a, no matter what horrible stuff I did, she always loved me and showed up for me and cared for me. And that person wasn't here anymore. And that was that was tough, you know. I was like, wow, I never, I never thought of that in that way, mm-hmm. you know, that that's what she was. Um, we lost a, a child, Jen and I. Well, I didn't. I I don't know. I, f- I feel weird saying I lost the child because I wasn't carrying the child, but it was mine. So she was pregnant. She was like three months pregnant, and we hadn't told anybody. We were like keeping it kind of a secret and all that. And then she had a miscarriage, and not only that, but it was like. Tr- traumatic the whole situation was like traumatic we went to the hospital they're like oh you've lost the baby and then they sent her home to like pass the baby at home basically in the toilet without telling us any of this stuff was gonna happen it was fucking terrible union hospital in elkton don't ever go go Uh. but you know that whole thing we're going through all of that and no one knows no one in our support group even knows that she's pregnant and we go through all of that stuff and and that was pretty traumatic um, in the the loss of, like, say, the, the whys. You know, why is this happening? We're clean now. We're doing all the right things. None of this is supposed to be going on. And it just was like getting into the whys didn't help me a lot then either. Uh, I'm going to move away from this topic because I'm the bad guy right now. So let's point the finger at somebody else. I don't else. think it's bad. I, I mean, <laughs> I, it's just perspectives and in, in how we look at things. I don't think it's bad. I mean, I... I think what you're saying can be useful to some people. I mean, just for myself, and and there are people that are going to need that. Why? There are people that are going to struggle with that question, and I don't think it's harmful to ask that question. I think you need the why if you have the broader belief system that it doesn't fit into, right? So if I, and I don't want to throw anyone under the bus here, but if I believe in this caring, loving being that always has my best interests at heart. And then there's a situation that occurs that really feels in, in contrast to that. I need to come up with the why to make my belief system whole again. I, I don't, it's my job to help people make meaning of everything in their life. I, I just assume that that's how we come out healthier because everybody I know that doesn't do that doesn't, get that i guess that's interesting you don't work for a faith-based organization do you no no not at all and i don't uh actively include any of my spiritual beliefs into anything that people don't already believe i think there's a difference between finding meaning in everything that happens and finding a silver lining or some amount of value in everything that happens. Because I will say that I I can find a silver lining in in my husband's death. I can find a silver lining in the COVID mess. Um, I don't have a silver lining uh, for my dog yet. Um, but I sure I'm, I might be able to find one at some point. It's, it's very new. Um, but I would not say I can find a meaning and see i think silver linings are based on the entire value judgment of anything being good or bad which i don't believe in to begin with yeah there's we none have of that. very different belief systems <laughs> there's, there's no such thing as good or bad uh, everything just is to me yeah obviously right so i 
Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, but I, I am going to move us in the direction of uh, picking on somebody else besides me for a minute because uh, <laughs> I feel a little like the bad guy, whether I am or not. Um, must be. I, I must. Oh, man. I'll say this nicely. <laughs> I, I must love you a lot because I never take what you say as insulting or attacking. Well, and I've heard other people say that. I'm like, no, I don't take you that way at all. You have heard other people say that? Jesus, now it's real. (laughs) Now I really got a complex. No, I I am a challenging person. I know that. Like, I'll challenge beliefs or thoughts. uh, And and I I, think I like that. I like that about it. Well, and I try to do it lovingly and compassionately Mm -hmm. in some forums. I do it like an asshole in other forums. Don't worry. Um, I think people with big egos feel like they need to be right all the time and i definitely want to be right but i recognize i have an ego that yeah i want to be right fighting against so i'm okay with challenging my own ideas and now i want to know the thinking fuck. deeply maybe about i don't want to know the people who said that that's all right <laughs> um so anyway five stages of grief right denial anger bargaining depression acceptance and and just looking at this from a getting clean standpoint right i want to take it back to that we come in there is no space for most of these steps in the grieving process when you come into recovery. They don't say, I understand that you're in the stage of denial right now, right? Like, that's tough. It's okay. When you're ready to not be there, we'll we'll move to the next piece, you know, or, or we'll do something else. No. And, and let's in fact, get the fuck out of denial. Yeah, and the work that I do in step one, or the work that I've done, like, denial is actually a part of the disease of addiction. Right. Like it's actually... You know, it goes yeah. into the, like, that's your addiction, you know, mm-hmm. that denial thing. And so then you look at anger. Anger, we kind of frame around the idea of resentment. Yeah. Right? It's triangle we don't want that either. Yeah. Get the fuck anger, out of resentment. Fear. Don't sit yeah. there. No, we're supposed to be allowed to sit here, right? Bargaining, I don't know that that fits in a whole lot. Uh, people would probably just say, you're trying to bargain something that's impossible. You need to just get past that and accept the fact that it's not possible. Uh, depression. I don't know what we we would even say about that. I I don't know. Go see, stop being depressed or go see mental health or something. But either way, my point being, we don't allow space for these in that arena. And I'm just wondering when that's our first experience and our first teaching coming into recovery, do we carry that into how we deal with others who are going through other grief? Do we say there's no space for these, these other stages? Like we don't, we don't do denial here. We don't do resentment. You need to fucking accept it. Well, maybe it would be more helpful to think of it as those are areas that we really have to be very careful. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I have to, as an addict, like I have some responsibility for being an addict. I shouldn't go hang out in bars a lot because it's probably not a healthy place for me to be. Same with denial or anger. Like, yes, I'm going to feel them. Like there might be times where I need to be around people that have alcohol or people that are using, you know, but it's probably not a safe place to be, and I better really be on guard when I'm in those positions. You know, there are some things we can do, as, as Caroline said. You know, she had a support group that she was able to to kind of rally behind when she was in that, you know, early stages or in those stages of grief. Are you mad at your husband? I'm not, no. Were you? I was very mad at him during his relapsing, yeah, but not when he died. No, I haven't. I haven't really gone through anger. That's why I said I think the stages are BS. <laughs> yeah. I generalize right. Yeah. Well, if you think of <laughs> you think about it, if they're not linear and you don't necessarily hit on any of them, what value do they add? These are normal 
everyday emotions and reactions to a ton of different things. So what's the value of calling them out specific to grief if they don't outline a standard grief process and they don't even say you're definitely going to at some point go through all of these stages because that's not even the case. It's like the side effects of COVID. <laughs> it's like right. everything. These are, some, these are some things you may experience or may not at Stages some point grief. in time. You might lose taste. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I don't necessarily think that people who operate from a perspective of grief think you won't pretty assuredly have some place with each of these stages. I just think that they know that they're not just like steps, right? It's not like, oh, you feel this one, then you feel this one, then you keep moving forward. Like there's there's back to this one, there's forward to that one, like we bounce around in them. But I would say that the grief experts explanation for what you just said is that everything is grief. So yes, we do deal with these for most things that we end up dealing with. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's man. how I always understood it too. You eventually go through all those stages. Yeah, right? I think at some you do point. touch. I, mean, on I don't them. know if that's true. I just that's my understanding is what you said that. Well, and I think a lot of it through all of them. A lot of the the point of using them is to normalize it, right? Because a lot of people may experience anger in your situation at their husband for fucking not being here anymore, and then feel like it's wrong. I'm not allowed to be angry with him. He's not here anymore. How can I be mad at him? Oh, fuck that. You can. That's okay. I'm still I'm still probably mad at my dad for not being alive anymore, and it wasn't his choice to not be alive anymore. Yeah. And I was pretty angry at my mom before she passed. I mean, I wasn't directly angry when she died, but so she had COPD, and she smoked and just decided she was going to keep smoking. I mean, she was on oxygen, would wheel herself outside to smoke cigarettes, and I remember being pretty angry, you know, that like it really felt like she was making a choice to choose to smoke and die rather than to try to fight against it and get better. Mm-hmm. And I was angry about that. Well, and, and grief doesn't start the moment they right. go. Yeah, it this was early. at a point where it was obvious she was going to die. It was just a matter of time at that point, months, which we all knew. So I don't want to bring your social media into this, but I remember you saying, I always thought he would get clean and mm-hmm. we would get back together, which mm-hmm. could be either denial or bargaining, depending on how you look at it, I guess. Uh, in my gut, in my yeah. gut, I felt that he would get clean again. Right. Like just in the core of, of, of my being. Yeah, absolutely. It, it shocked me. Mm. And I did do a bit of grieving prior to his, his passing of the relationship. Right. Um, of his presence but yeah no i did not i did not think this was going to kill him he was definitely someone who managed to somehow escape consequences very very regularly Mm -hmm. what kind of things were said to you that were completely fucking useless because generally we don't know what to say to people who are grieving so what was said that was not helpful and what was said that was actually maybe harmful um I had someone should on me. Um, Someone told me probably around the one to two month point. I was talking to them about feeling like, you know, I wasn't hearing from people anymore. Like people weren't checking on me. I was still really struggling at that point. Um, And she said, well, at this point, you should really be the one reaching out. Ooh. Um, 
that stands out in my mind as as being hurtful. Yeah. If not, I don't know that it was harmful, um, but it was hurtful. That's a shame based statement. Yeah. I mean, I didn't take the shame one though. Right. I have a pretty good kind of sense of self, I think. So um, I didn't own that, but it was hurtful. Hmm. See, and I would say, I mean, I would possibly say something like that. I could see you saying that. (laughs) And totally miss that it was (laughs) only because like if I'm hurting in recovery, ultimately, like I've always felt like, like it's my responsibility to let people know. I don't know. That's. But I'm like, oof, I got to watch that. I could easily say that to someone. I used to have a professor that would say, don't shut on yourself. Yes. Um, and I think that's probably true mm-hmm. for Always. other people as well. Um, should is a shame-based statement. Yeah. Coming from other people, it's telling you what's expected of you. And if you're, you're obviously not doing it, which is why they said it should to be in first place. So something's wrong with you that you're not doing it coming from yourself you split yourself into two people the one who's living how they're living and the one who thinks that's wrong and they should be doing something would else. there have been a way to say it that was helpful or was it just yeah I it's think the wrong thing to say the thing that may have been helpful would have been to say you know people are really busy maybe have you tried have you tried reaching out some that's the helpful way to say it which is still to me the wrong thing to say but not as bad. Not yeah. nearly as no, bad. Because no. it, it, it contains no judgment. Right. And so so tell me what you said to her. Oh, I have no idea what my response was. No, what did you say to her first that made her say that? Oh, I was complaining about, you know, feeling like people... People weren't reaching out. Reach, yeah, that I wasn't hearing... That I never... You know, my phone wasn't ringing. I wasn't getting text messages. I wasn't hearing from people. Oh, my God, Caroline. I'm so sorry to hear that. I... We should tell some more people because we should definitely be calling you still if that's what you need. Thanks for letting us know. That's lovely. That's lovely. Right? Yeah. Like she's she's telling us what she needs. Why are we going to say you should be doing it yourself? <laughs> she just can't. Obviously, or she right. would have just fucking called people. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was definitely she, in a place She's reaching where... out in that moment and saying, this is what I really needed. Yeah. And see, that's where my lack of dependence on other people to meet my needs <laughs> comes in. <laughs> like, everyone's going to let me down. No one's going to live up to my fucking expectations. So I got to do it myself. <laughs> I will say, I will say I have learned to be more like Billy since the experience with my and husband. And people would tell you that's not necessarily helpful. And maybe my not. Wife would tell you and that. maybe not. But based on the circumstances, you know, I, I mean, between losing my husband and COVID, um, I've been alone a ton this mm. last year. And so when I put my dog down, mm. I didn't really expect to hear from people this time. And I did hear from a couple of people. Um, and sure, plenty of people. I Oh, here's something I want to say. Saying I'm sorry on Facebook <laughs> yeah. doesn't count. Like if I go through something traumatic or painful and you've reached out to me via a Facebook post, not direct messenger, but via a Facebook post you commented, that is not the same as reaching out. I'm sorry. Doesn't count. Um, but yeah, with, with, with my dog passing, I really, I didn't expect the support. I mean, and again, I will say there were a couple of women that showed up for me in those first few days, fed me, 
drove me around, you know, like we're there. And thank God for them. But did, did you find it people you didn't expect? Um, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I found. So I found that the one person I did really expect, not at all, and we're not friends anymore. Like the mm. the person who at that point in my life I would have called my best friend went totally MIA on me. Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's just my, that's been my experience with grief. Is it's always amazing the people that show up or reach out, and the people that don't. And I, I've never taken that overly personal. It's just allowed me to see the character of certain people a little better. And some people are definitely way better at recognizing pain or grief or or that aspect of reaching out. And it's a really beautiful thing to see in people. Are you angry at the person? Oh yeah. Oh, so you were some anger. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Yeah. But that's, I don't tie that to the grief process. I tie that to like, that's a separate issue. Yeah. Being like angry our, at a shitty friend. Who's, yeah. <laughs> that's a, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of tend to think that these elements all intertwine. Yeah. Well, you, they might not come out towards a specific circumstance, but it's got that anger has to come out somewhere. I'd be angry at this person without grief being in the mix require like feeding anger i get that um and again that's why i think the grief stages are kind of bs because you can find those five emotions in any area of your life at any given time Mm. and if you want to correlate them to the grief you happen to be experiencing then then sure but they're going to be there i don't think that checks the box for Mm. sound like a skeptic I am a skeptic. I am. But I do think there's a a beautiful part to being able to reach out to other people also in that people will show up if they know there's a need. You know what I mean? Not always. Well, someone will usually. Um, Now, it may not be the people you think or the people you expect, but if you let people know, people tend to show up. Yes. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, uh, you're talking about... uh, who's capable of showing up right and, right. and not that that's look, a whole nother in that thing. moment <laughs> would i not also be pissed at people i thought needed to be there for me or were supposed to be there for me sure i'd be pissed about it and, and i'd take it personal but in my grand scheme of how i look at life it would be like was somebody available yes and i'm grateful for that and i kind of think that's how the world works and right. i would do my best not to like that person who i wanted there might have fucking sucked at being there Right, like they might have been the wrong person to have there, even though it's who I wanted. I don't know, but it wasn't just—it was like multiple events over the course of a few months, like multiple opportunities to show up. So I'm not saying don't blame them. Yeah, fuck them if you don't like them. I'm not taking up for them. What did you hear? What was said to you? What was done for you that was helpful and useful in general? Um, the food was so helpful. <laughs> I, I hate it's to laugh, but I was just thinking, true. like everyone always brings food. Is that? Re- I mean, I was it's thinking, does so that helpful. really helpful? And you're so like, helpful. Yeah, helpful. yeah <laughs> because I was so hungry, but so incapable just of figuring feel out like making food. Huh. So I mean, even yeah, so, so incapable of move. figuring yep. it out. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really helpful. Um. Showing up 
like as soon as so I um the the cops actually came to my house beautiful town of rising sun police <laughs> came to my house I was not where they were supposed to go but I was the closest so that's where they went oh boy um and as soon as they showed up I I knew you know my 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 life is such that cops don't come to my house today right um so I knew but uh as soon as they left I called that best friend first um and then I called the second person I called showed up um the second person I called was willing to to drop everything and come to my house and she ended up uh hanging out with me um while we talked through some logistics stuff she took me over uh my in-laws house um because we were having a hard time getting anyone to to notify them um and didn't want to do it over the phone and then took me to a meeting that night and took me home um so that was that was good to not be alone to have someone there um to have someone there that offered to come i struggled to ask for help mm. um in a lot of scenarios you know i it if people are like, that's, I think, one thing that's not super helpful. And, and one of the audiobooks I was listening to uh, would concur is that, like, the let me know if you need anything. Hmm. That still puts it back on me to have to ask you mm-hmm. to do something and for me to have to inconvenience you. And I don't like to inconvenience you. So, hmm. you know, her telling me she's coming, I'm not inconveniencing her. My girlfriend who who brought me just like a plethora of ready to eat food, I guess the next day, I wouldn't have said, will you get me food? But she <laughs> right. just brought it, you know? Right. Um, so just like telling someone specific, this is what I'm going to do for you. And then you can ask any questions about like, you know, do you, do you like this? Do you need this? But like, being the one to put that out there instead of putting the onus back on the person who's grieving to like figure out what they need or have to ask i think that's that's really helpful too hmm. yeah that's tricky working from like what would be an ideal healthy standpoint for all the individuals involved and like where are we really at like that's probably much more useful for where we're really at as a society and as a people just fucking do it i was thinking like there's not I thought I knew all the right things to say for people in grief until I lost my father and then realized I wanted to tell everyone who had nice things to say right. to me to go fuck themselves because <laughs> I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, take these middle fingers, shove them up your ass and get the fuck out of my face with all your, I'm sorry for your losses and all that great shit, right? Um, so in that moment, I, it was a, a path of like, what the fuck can I do, right? And most of the time, I much rather would be in person with the person because I don't have any fucking words. I will sit here with you and hold space with you. I'll hug you. I ain't got a fucking thing to say. But I have learned at least one that's like kind of not awful and that's I wish I had the right words. I'm so sorry for your loss. Mm -hmm. And that's basically exactly how I feel. I don't fucking have the right words. There are none. Right. Yeah, and people are different. Like, when I am in, like, grief, like, I don't want to be around people. I don't want to be around anybody. And I really don't care what you have to say. I mean, not that (laughs) I won't be rude or I won't, but, I mean, whatever. Like, I remember going through my mom's funeral, and I 
I don't know what anyone said. And whatever they said didn't make it any better or worse either way. Whatever the words they said were not one of them stood out to me. There was nothing that they were going to say that could make me feel any different either way. <laughs> you know, it's the way I looked at it. And but it, it was nice, though, that people showed up. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So I feel the same way. Like, I don't care what people said in those early days, as long as they didn't say something judgy. Um, which no one did in those early days, luckily. But yeah, all of the like platitudes, I, none of that was bothersome to me. Yeah, because <laughs> so I knew angry and bitter. I knew where people were coming from, and yeah. the fact that they were they were saying something is what mattered to me. Not that like it was something dumb. Jesus Christ! And don't tell me about your father's death at my father's fucking viewing, please. <laughs> Shut the fuck it's up. That is, yeah. I was hurt. Yeah, yeah. I got hurt. some of that. That that was a little. I remember talking to someone who we all know. I'm not going to say their name. Um, they had reached out to me right after right after Matt died, and um, then started telling me about like some estranged like family member that had also like you know that like kind of like now i'm gonna take the conversation over and make it about me well they teach us that in in 12 step yeah we got to relate in we got to compare in by telling you about our story that's similar similar. i I hate that it's self-centered i think i don't like it well it's it's a bad practice for self-centered people (laughs) the sentiment is right the sentiment is to be like hey i've experienced a similar loss i'm here for you i understand that doesn't help no well no i i think the idea of moving towards connection is the purpose of it like that's the good goal of it but yeah we fuck it all up (laughs) you're right (laughs) massively and and i want to be clear i'm not judging any of the people that said any of the shit to me because that's the exact same shit i would have said to people right before before that experience (laughs) right like uh, so i'm not judging them Uh, it's just we don't know right Right. and and yeah don't do those fucking things i People are hurt, man. They don't want to hear none of your shit. Just go See, and but I them. feel different. I feel different. I feel like as long as you're coming from a place of caring and and yeah, and you're trying, that that's what matters to me. As Again, as long as right. it's not judgy. Um, now, as a person, I try not to say that kind of stuff anymore, but I don't care if other people say it. I yeah. say I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. And that's a, that's, that's a pretty generic platitude too, but... At this point... In my life, I can completely respect that they were all trying to do the right thing in that moment. At that moment in time, with the amount of hurt I was going through. And how old were you? So if it's the loss- 25. Okay. But not in recovery yet? Or, yeah, in recovery, Two right? Years in, okay. Yeah. So at this point, like, I try to either say something nice specifically about the person that passed or share a story or say something that is actually well recommended that's what i and only like say from talking to my sister about her experience i try to do that if i know the person or or knew the person that passed yes if you know a nice story about the person or a memory perfect yeah that because that's fucking useful that's one of the other struggles that i've had is that you know when when matt passed he um had for all intents and purposes been out of the program since for about two years. Um, he had dibbled and dabbled a little bit, probably two years prior, right before he passed, he had kind of switched over to AA. Um, but so like the people that I was closest to at that point 
didn't really know him well. Mm. The people who really loved him were not people in my inner circle. Mm. So like his immediate family and a couple of his good friends are friends of mine, certainly, but not they're not my girlfriends. Like my girlfriends didn't really know him right. at the time that he passed. Um, it was, it is still very difficult um, and something that I love when I have the opportunity is to connect with other people that loved him. Hmm. Um, his family doesn't really seem to want to talk about it. So they haven't been a resource. They seem to kind of want to just move on with their lives. Um, two of his best friends are two guys in recovery. And I have had limited opportunities to kind of, um, you know, spend some time with them and, and talk about Matt. And it's, it's amazing when it happens, but they're men. And I don't think, yeah. I don't know that they think it's amazing when it happens. No, I, they're probably angry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all men feel <laughs> right. just anger are you planning on seeking and I, I i guess i would have to imagine not if you haven't yet but were you are you thinking about seeking uh professional counseling in any way to to process more of this i don't know why you assume i haven't that's a good fucking point i don't know <laughs> i just assumed you had it yeah that's a wrong assumption so oh, good. Um, I would say, you know, one of the things that NA taught me is that we have a number of resources at our disposal for anything that we're struggling with. Or so if we think about, if we think about truly like just, just straight recovery, we have our network, we have our sponsors. So we could almost view them as kind of like, I don't know, more, I don't know how to say it, but they almost, you could almost kind of view them as like a therapist in a normal world situation. Kind of. I don't want to say that the the relationship dynamic is a little different than it would be with your network. So I guess kind of that kind of would be the. They're like a more experienced person. Right. That can kind of sit there and and help you process things. Yes, I agree. Okay. I agree to that. Um, we have our literature. We have listening to other people's experiences kind of outside of our network, right? So if we think about a speaker meeting, just kind of li- you might not know that person at all, but you get to kind of sit and hear what they. So I feel like I was pretty well set up to dive into anything I felt like it was going to help me um, in the grief process. So I think about th- I had actually recently ended therapy probably two months before Matt passed. Um, So within three weeks of him passing, I called my counselor back up, started seeing her again. Um, Obviously was, you know, to some extent, to varying degrees, reaching out to my network, sought out books on grief and the grief experience, Um, attended some different groups. So tried some different um, like grief type groups um, through some different venues. So, yeah, I would say that, you know, very, very quickly I, um, started looking for healthy ways. The one thing I was really conscious of in, in this process was I didn't want to, um, act out or Hmm. try to 
solve my feelings in unhealthy ways. Uh. I didn't do that completely successfully because I'm probably about 30 pounds heavier than I was when Matt died. Mm. Um, but in terms of like shopping sprees, um, you know, running out, finding another relation, a lot of those things that we can use to, again, with the exclusion of food, um, try to create a high for ourselves, right? Or a distraction. Comfort. Yeah. yeah I really, yeah. 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 Food has been a problem. Food has been a problem for, I mean, probably food started being a little bit of an issue for me, probably around his, his relapse. Hmm. So. Well, that's awesome. I think, uh, counseling, I think highly of it, right? I think it's fucking useful. And I think there's a reason that the people who can't show up for us and hold space for us in regular day to day interactions, like, yeah, we say we're paying for it, but that's like what, a professional can do mm-hmm. if they know what they're doing is, is to create that environment where we can have that healing process happen. Um, any final thoughts on grief thoughts of like what the person grieving could necessarily do that could help or what people around the grieving person could not do or do like any final thoughts from anybody? Yeah. I mean, I think my experience has been, there's really nothing there's nothing that can be done in those first days or weeks that's going to make it better like there is no making it better um and stuffing it down i don't believe is effective long term i think it's that's really unhealthy um so i think you know when you get to a point where you're ready which some people aren't there for you know i i mean for me like i wasn't even really functional for the first month um but when you get to a point where you're ready seeking out resources whether that's a therapist whether that's a a grief group having something like that to lean on is good and then for the people who you know are around someone who's grieving remember that they're grieving don't don't think okay a month's passed they must be fine now like keep keep checking in keep keep asking how they're doing and and for both of those parties, the person in grief and the people around the griever, I I really would remind you, the goal is not to make it better, right? Pain is the struggle we're going through that is inevitable. Grief is the process that makes it better over time. We don't want to take away the feelings, right? We're not trying to make anything better. We're trying to go through this and process it, not alleviate it in any way yeah and i was thinking that for the individual like for myself i have to tell myself like it's okay to be sad like it's okay to just allow myself to be sad there's nothing wrong with that like as a as a man anyway like that's some sort of weakness yeah, shit, just be you know what i mean <laughs> right like i can't be sad like but no it's okay to be sad for as long as you feel sad you know and and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that yeah i think that's another good point too is like cutting yourself some slack you know, like I don't, I, I, I'm really big on self care. I don't, I don't put expectations on myself. Like I've basically been in a state of grief for, I've been in a state of trauma for years yeah. and a state of grief. I, one could argue maybe as long, right? Since, since I found out about my husband's relapse. Um, yeah, there isn't a time. You know? Right, <laughs> like right. I, uh, I can't handle it all. 
I can't keep the five acres cut and the house perfect and my full-time job satisfied and take care of the dogs and take care of the chickens. And I can't do it all when I'm not operating at full capacity, which for me, grief has done that. And I'm, I'm, I cut myself slack on that. Like I know that I'm not, I'm not my best, most productive self when I'm struggling with these big emotions and that's okay. Mm. Great suggestions. Any final word? No, thank you for coming in and sharing your story yeah, really and Matt's story with yeah, us. Yeah, really appreciate it. I told Jason I want to be like the third co-host, so yeah. maybe did I did I pass the test? I I'm totally game. This this went way too fast. It was now we good. have to buy another microphone because if we have another guest, <laughs> he'll have to get a whole Always new computer. He brings we all need this a new stuff. table. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, no, I I enjoyed. It. I think. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. I don't know. I feel like you two would gang up on me. I got to be really careful about <laughs> having you on too often. I think you guys think different than I do. I can sit out on the like God, God topic. Are you a God means. person? I'm not a God person. So that's so baffling then. How do you find a silver lining in shit? Well, I don't think the two are related at all. Oh my God. All right. Another yeah, podcast. Yeah. We'll have to do that <laughs> one. All right. Uh, yeah. So be learn something about grieving, right? Learn something about grieving. Learn what it's like to be on the grieving side. Learn what's helpful as somebody supporting someone through grief. Uh, learn about the wonderful process so we don't maybe make the mistakes of, of doing more harm or, or at least not doing good. Um, Kessler is a good person to listen to if you want to learn more about grief. Um, even if you don't believe that grief is a real thing or the stages of grief are a real thing, he's pretty inspiring and, and helpful and compassionate. So, David Kessler? Yes. That's funny. I stumbled upon one of his support groups on Facebook. Yeah, he's, like early days. He's like Mister Rogers, but cooler. I think he's almost. he's pretty well. Yeah, recognized and yeah, yeah. yeah okay. he's, he's That's one of the uh, one of the authorities on it. So, yeah, check that out. And uh, there is also a local support group through our oh, sponsor, there? Voices of Hope. They have Healing Hearts, which is an overdose. Oh, okay. Grief support group. All right. We'll see you next week. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.